Welcome to Anthropology of Girlhood, a girlhood podcast about why you should never answer your phone again. I'm Alexa Ray Hack. I'm a comedian and storyteller. I use she, her pronouns. My name is Micah Silverne. I am a childcare provider and I use they, them pronouns. And today we're talking about the 1974 Bob Clark masterpiece, Black Christmas. This is a particular love of mine, Black Christmas. I'm a big slasher fan. And when I was looking for movies to do for the Christmas season that had girls in them, frankly, this was one of my only choices. So I thought it was sort of a good excuse for me to just like sort of shoehorn in one of my favorite movies of all time. And uh, yeah, you could tell in the, in the episode that I'm pretty excited about it because I basically just rant about how good the movie is the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great movie. I It was my first time watching it and it's really pulled me in and is really well crafted and is... It's got so much horror DNA in it. It's wonderful. You should definitely go watch it if you haven't. You should definitely go watch it. I feel like a lot of people miss this movie, and it doesn't get brought up in a lot of the, like, pantheon of horror movies conversations, but it should because it's one of the greats. And if you like horror movies, even at all, go see this. This movie's your pretty basic, your standard boilerplate horror movie plot. A killer escapes into a small Canadian town, Um, takes up residence in the attic of a sorority house, which is mostly empty because it's winter break, and, uh, yeah, begins killing sorority girls. When they go to the police, no one listens, and then, yeah, everybody dies. So, some programming notes. These first few months of the podcast have been kind of a soft launch. Um, we wanted to sort of get our feet wet and get good at producing this before we ramped it up to full time so beginning of the new year we're going to be doing episodes every week but because we don't want to burn through sort of a limited pool of girlhood movie content we're going to be filling the extra weeks with tv shows uh, of which there are a fair amount and i've been collecting a programming list um so we're going to start with january 14th will be the first of those And that will be episodes one through five of As Told by Ginger. Which is one of my absolute favorite shows from growing up. And it's like so genuinely girlhood that like... Totally. It's such a great place to start. Yeah, it's so perfectly what we talk about on this podcast. It stars a girl protagonist who's like 12 and 13, like going through the beginning of puberty. It's all about character development and emotional growth. It's like, it's real anthropology of girlhood bait uh, for us. So I'm very excited about that. Also, I just wanted to say... Um, now we put out the announcement and the Patreon is up. I just want to kind of explain what we're trying to do with the Patreon. Like, frankly, I would really love to make more stuff for the, for you people. Like I would love to make more podcasts, but we just like only have so much time, especially in the editing of this podcast, which is time consuming. So what I'm saying is... If we can make some money, then we can hire someone to do this stuff for us. And we can make all kinds of more shows. I've been pitching an idea to Micah recently about a Star Trek show that we could do. That do like an anthropology of Star Trek. That would probably be a Patreon show. But I, I, that's, that's gotta, we gotta get there. We gotta get there first. Anyway, you should follow us on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review if you can. Uh, we appreciate it. And We're Anthro267 on Twitter and uh, patreon.com slash Anthro267. Enjoy the show. Trigger warning. We do talk about murder. It is a horror movie. Anyway, enjoy Talking about directors, I think it's interesting that what's his name directed both this and yeah, Bob Christmas Clark Story. directed yeah this Black Christmas and A Christmas Story this month's bonus app, which is weird. Like other than them both being Christmas movies, like there's not a lot in common. There's not really anything in common. No, it's and it's so funny because like I mean, I guess. From a direction standpoint, like, 
I don't dislike a Christmas story. I think it's interesting that you can track how he thinks about women through both of them uh, in yeah. really terrible ways. Totally. Because, uh, really, okay, let's be real. The lack of characters women have in right, his movies. Right. And most of his women are just vessels for men to commit violence through. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, the women in this movie are interesting, but they're a little shallow. Yeah. They all kind of have, like, the one trait. Yeah. Yeah, they're very flat. Yeah, but that was a Christmas story, too. Yeah, that's true. Christmas story doesn't really have a lot of dimension. But Christmas story is done with a little bit more intention behind it because you have it through the childhood lens. Right. And, like... In childhood, everyone is kind of one dimension because you don't understand how people can be more. It just occurred to me right now that in Christmas Story, I don't think there are, like, any girl children. There are not. Like, except in the group, like, classroom scene, there's a couple. Like, a couple. The one girl that they call out doesn't have a line, and it's the girl who points to his friend outside on the pole. Oh, yikes. See, this is what we're dealing with, people. If you're trying to grow up as a feminine child and, like, literally even group scenes don't have women in them. It's like, how do you possibly picture a future for yourself when your future literally isn't being depicted anywhere? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then. Well, yeah. And then add on top of that being trans and queer. I was going to say, yeah, there are no queers anywhere to be seen in either of these movies. No. No. Like, not even a hint yeah, and these movies are like a full decade apart. Yeah. 74 is Black Christmas and 83 for uh, Christmas, Christmas Story. Story. Yeah. Weird. I, I, like, I know this movie doesn't really fit our, like, thing necessarily. There isn't, like, a lot of, like, they're not teenagers. This is college. Right. I try to steer us away from college where possible because i feel like adolescence is more interesting Mm -hmm. i agree um but i love this movie so much it's so good (laughs) like this is low-key just an excuse for us to do a podcast about one of my favorite movies of all time that i could talk to literally everyone about forever i really liked it this was my first time seeing it and I am not a person who does Christmas. I don't get it. So having a Christmas-themed horror movie, which I do understand, is wonderful. And, like, I like how not really Christmassy it is at all, and it just is set at winter. Right. And it's great. And this movie is so fucking good. Yeah. And... So good. You can... And, like, it's not... It's not Christmassy... But there are, like, elements of it that make the Christmas part necessary. Yes. Right? The fact that the house is big, but it's empty. Right? Because everyone but a few of the girls has gone home for the holidays. And, like, you know, the fact that the lights are kind of, like, uneven. Right. Which provides for lots of shadow because there's, like, lights strung up everywhere. So that provides, like, lots of shadows for the killer to lurk in. Right. The lighting in this movie is incredible. I think... It's so good. The way they play with the shadows and utilize the shadows is phenomenal. It's really good. Especially the way that the killer is always in shadow. Oh my god. Some of my favorite shots are where you've got, like, your characters in the foreground talking about the killer, and you just see, like, a subtle shadow move in the back. just a shadow over everyone's shoulder in the background. It's It's... so good. Chef's kiss. So good. Um, I love a villain who you, when you don't know what the villain is, or who the, and I love, love, love that you don't see the killer's face ever in this movie. And, like, yeah, I feel like that is one of the things that the at least the ones that are successful to me of the early like slasher movies yeah i'm a big horror movie person but particularly i really love a slasher like i really just love like a group of teens being butchered in the like most ridiculous goriest way possible (laughs) like that's my jam um which is why i love this movie because like 
everything. There's not a slasher movie alive that doesn't owe something to Black. Oh Christmas. my God! There's the hockey mask. The the going up the stairs instead of out the door. The phone call for coming the from within. The phone call coming from inside the house. Like, there's, all that stuff is Black Christmas. There's so much horror DNA in this. And it's so, it's so underrated. And it's and one so of those two, like, right? Like, you'd never seen no. it. A lot of people I talk to, to about this movie have never seen it. And then you see it and you go, oh my god, every horror movie I love is in here. Right. Like, this is, like... It's obviously made in 1974 in Toronto for like $100,000 and it looks like it, but like, you know, it's it's a really really well-made movie. It is. And like like the direction in this movie is so beautiful. There's so many like like you said, like blocked off shots where something is happening but no one's acknowledging it and you're trying to like pay attention to the conversation, but you're also trying to watch what's happening in the shadow or like the last shot. Oh, the last shot. We're going to oh jump around because we are, I'm obsessed with this movie. But like the last shot of this movie, if you've never seen it, it's just this blocked off shot. The credits are rolling and you see the like dead girl in the window and we zoom out slowly. We pull away from the dead girl in the window where we see this blocked off shot of the whole house with the only light being in the attic to backlight the dead girl and the cop standing on the front step smoking a cigarette and the phone rings. Which... And you're just, your fucking asshole drops out. Right, because the phone rings, uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, the fo- every time there's a murder, there's a phone call that follows. Right. So, like, it's to imply that this the last girl actually gets murdered in the end because... And it's just, like, this haunting, silent, like, no music, no foreground sound. You just hear the, like, echoing of the phone ringing, and it is incredible. And there's a second where you see the officer, like, turn, like he's going to go in the house for the phone, and then he's like, and whatever. Because the cops, like, they already have their killer. Like, they put it on the boyfriend. Right. And, like... It's haunting. It's haunting. I do appreciate that despite the characters being flat, especially the female ones, I think that they do a good job of making it important that the characters are female and women presenting because, like, part of the struggle is getting people to believe you and struggling to, like, convince people that something is wrong. Right. Um, And... Which is, like, true. Like, that happens all the time. Yeah. And I, so many women and uh, femme people I know have that experience. Right, right. And. Of, yeah, just not being listened to. Which is one of the very, very few things that the remake, the recent remake, gets right. Yeah. Is the, like, no one will listen, the cops won't listen, even if this has happened before, like, no one gives a shit. Yeah. Because you're a woman. Exactly. It's. Yeah, it's a great movie. I fucking love it. I the 2019 remake is not a remake. It is just a completely different movie. It's a totally different movie. I don't know why that we're talking by the way about the 2019 Blumhouse movie, Blumhouse, they're the insidious folks and the purge and etc etc etc. That is just fully a different movie. Yeah, it has a, the name Black Christmas and like a they, couple nods like two yeah like literally a couple yeah nods to the original movie and then it's an entirely different plot it's a different setting it's a different everything yeah like i think the one of the great things about this movie is that it's the space the physical space is so tight yeah like almost the entire movie except for like the police station stuff almost never is anyone at the police station who's not a police officer they don't escape what i'm trying to say is the girls are basically stuck in the house the whole time and there's this feeling of claustrophobia because it's winter because Mm -hmm. it's christmas break like it, it feels a little bit like we're stuck in this house and there's the dramatic irony too of as an audience, we've seen the killer get into the house. We've seen the kills. We know that the house isn't safe. But the girls think that the house is the only safe place because everyone thinks their home is the safe place. And that, like, that's one of those, like, like base horror yeah. 
like discomforts is the like being killed in your home where you're supposed to be safe. Yeah, thing. the betrayal of safety that the girls go through when you, they find out the killers in the house is like the right. central conflict in the movie. And to take away the parameters and walls of the house is telling a completely different story right. because like the house in itself is part of the haunting and right. part of the horror because it's the tension that you constantly build as an audience member of you know danger is coming and right. you know where it is but and yeah you can feel the like space kind of physically getting smaller yeah as the killer like gets bolder and like kills more girls and something stuff. i noticed and i think is a really subtle and interesting touch is like the shadows get bigger as the movie goes on oh yeah and like notice that but you're right i noticed it the second time i was watching it with you and grayson and like to ha- watch like the darkness literally creeping in and like having the killer have more space to hide and like yeah. it's like he's taking over more and more right. of the house and it's fucking brilliant yeah and uh it's just such a cute little nod and piece of filmmaking yeah it's just a brilliant piece of filmmaking this movie like it's obviously made for a nickel but like it's so well utilized which is makes me question where was all this film uh, like film savviness in christmas story because christmas story is like pretty basic film wise like there's yeah, not a it's lot really interesting huh and i but like, and i wonder if it's just that he didn't care about the material as much like i wonder knows? if it's yeah because black christmas is like one of his first movies yeah he'd made like two or three movies before black christmas so i i don't wonder if it's just that that was a thing he cared more about or that he had He'd had less success up to that point, so he had to prove himself. Yeah. Like, you have to remember that Christmas Story is post-Porkies. Right. Which uh, Bob Clark also not only directed, but wrote and produced. And Never a good trio when a man does it. Yeah, man. I will... Exactly. I will buy a ticket to any movie that a woman writes, produces, and directs, and zero movies that a man writes, produces, and directs. Let me clear. Let me amend that actually and say white men because oh, Jordan Peele. That's true. I Jordan Peele writes, directs, and, and produces, produces something. And, I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, to see his other work and have it be so flat is really fascinating. Yeah. We'll have to watch Porky's for a bonus episode sometime. Yeah, I'm It'll curious. Be, uh, oh, I've heard it's a wild ride. It's certainly wild. <laughs> it's I can't. I, yeah, it's. Full on a crime. That movie is like full on a sex crime. Oof. <laughs> it's it's bad. It's the whole movie is just like implied rape threats. It's pretty gross. That sounds disgusting. But this is the culture, and this is what we have to talk about. Oh boy. <laughs> anyway, I do think it's really cool that one, all the girls in the house are like distinct yes they all have distinct personalities they clash they agree on stuff i, I like that i dig that a lot yeah for sure don't, like run together like in the remake that we watched like i couldn't tell no. you anything about any of those characters no. except that like one of them was assaulted yeah like other than that, they're all just... The same. There's no just, distinction. Yeah. But also, I like that there's no, like, moralizing. Yeah, exactly. That. Like, Barb gets drunk because, like, she can't go home to her family because her family's, like, blowing her off for Christmas. Right. So she gets drunk, which may be irresponsible, but a rational reaction to a situation like that. Right. Um, And she's not the first one killed. Like, usually if we have a character in a horror movie that does something like get drunk in public or get drunk at all or, you know... Has any moral failings. Imply that they've had sex or anything like that. They have to die first. Like, well, first of all, this movie kind of predates that stuff. Right. right? Like, the, the, the slashers that come before this... I mean, Texas Chainsaw is the same year, 74, as this. Is it this. really? Yeah. 
and that movie has doesn't have a, like a transgression narrative so much as like a trespass yeah narrative the kids in texas chainsaw get killed because they're like trespassing they're, right. and they're in a place they're not supposed to be and they get warned that's where the like warning guy comes from in horror movies texas chainsaw um they get warned like you're not supposed to go there it's a bad place don't bother um, and then they go anyway, and that's why they get killed. But this movie doesn't have any moralizing. The first girl to get killed is the virgin. Yeah. So The like, innocent one is the first one dead. If you made this movie now, people would call it avant-garde for horror. They'd be like, ooh, look at you breaking the rules, killing the virgin first. I mean, for the language alone and like how promiscuous the girls are allowed to be, this movie wouldn't get made at all. Yeah, it's so funny how, how backwards the culture has gone that like, you can't make movies we, that we made in the 70s now. Right, where you have a character openly talking about abortion. When was the last time you saw that in a movie yeah. that had a, didn't have a woman in tears traumatized? Right, over it right and yeah or where the the woman was it the villain for talking about right. having an abortion right i really like how not having the moralizers in the movie it makes the killer seem scarier because yeah. it really seems like you know he's killing without reason so right. it could be anyone and anyone is next exactly and really helps add to the tension in the movie which is fucking well played yeah I feel like, yeah, because I feel like in later horror movies, that stuff can get a little formulaic. Yeah. And sometimes you'll be watching a horror movie and you can see the cast and you can like, just like see the still shot of the cast and go like, you die first, you die second, you die third, and you survive to the end and you might die or you might live. Right. Right. Like the only tension is like, does the final girl live? Right. And like, I like that in this movie... There is a final girl, kind of. Like, there is a girl who ostensibly lives to the end. But the movie, the ending shot, like we talked about, the ending shot of the movie implies she gets killed. Yeah. doesn't tell us she gets killed. It definitely implies it, though. the phone only ever rings after someone gets killed and the phone yeah. rings. So, yeah, I just think it's so funny that this movie, like, influenced so many horror movies. But... No one knows it. Yeah, but also that it, it is so different than so yeah. many of those horror movies. Yeah, it's really it's really interesting to see how much DNA is in it and how different it is and uh, how much of an outlier it is. Something I do really like about the character work that they did in this movie is that they really highlight male rage as a dangerous thing. And I think I can see where the remake picked that up and tried to modernize it. Uh-huh. Yeah. They did a poor job of it. They did and a terrible job. I will stand by it's not the same movie at all. But you have so many different men, police, and civilians so ready to attack who are trigger happy. Uh, and you have, you know, the boyfriend. Uh, yeah, that boyfriend who's unhinged. He's Peter. Peter, yeah. Yeah, he is just like, you, you have specific scenes like the one in... Uh, the music conservatory that shows his rage on full display. Yeah. And it's not excused at all. It's not, like, yeah. it's it's looked at as a suspicious behavior. Right. And you don't ever see that called out nowadays. No. No. And it's really good to see. And it's funny because, like, that violence, like, like we've talked about before, like, it's in response to his own failing and his own inability to do introspection on that failure. Absolutely. And instead of being introspective and being like, hey, maybe I didn't practice this enough or maybe this isn't the path for me. Maybe I need to pivot what kind of music I make or something like that. Instead of doing any of that stuff, he just smashes the hell out of a piano and tells his girlfriend that, they have to get married. Right. She He calls her selfish because she won't think of anyone but herself about getting an abortion. Which when like he basically just like decides their whole life for them in an instant because he got mad at a piano. Yeah. It's, you know, I think it's an interesting attempt to paint him as the villain and have him be like teased out as the villain because 
it's so obvious and it's like such the like clear choice. Yeah. But I feel like it could have been done a little bit better because there's like there's parts where I'm like oh they're oh they're playing him as the villain and he's because like there's uh there's shots of the killer's eyes and they're like distinctly the a different color than his and yeah it's but like is that's I mean yeah that's like halfway through the movie but you pointed that out to me and I'd never noticed that before. oh really I've seen this movie five or six times probably and I'd never caught that oh he's just got these. The killer's got those crazy brown eyes, and yeah, I never noticed. Peter's got those has got like bright blue ones, and it just like I caught it in the last shot when he's dead in uh, our our oh, final girl, girl, our final girl's hands. Yeah, I really love the fashion in this movie. I, it's so seventies, and like I would wear almost every single one of these outfits. Yeah, I know. It. I mean, I bet you would. It's very much your style. I yeah. Mean, we just talked. To, we just did our bonus up for a Christmas story, and like the forty stuff, that's my yeah. stuff. And this is the seventy stuff. That's that's all you. I do not get it, but I enjoy your little flower child heart. Like, Thanks. There's like the fur coat that the Claire's boyfriend has is so fucking good. It's, it's a beast. It's huge. That's for sure. And like you have our final girl in like the classic like cropped polo and sweater combo with the high-waisted jeans. Yeah, Jess is her name. Jess, that's right. Uh, played by Olivia Hussey. And like I don't know, it's it was such like a perfect 70s encapsulation and yeah. it's lovely. I, I think especially the like the cops feels so 70s lieutenant fuller our like main detective lead he just like smells like a 70s cop he really does i just yeah um we should talk oh do you want to talk about mrs mac oh i love mrs mac like house mother of this sorority who's just like constantly drinking oh we love a boozy house mom yeah the parent shows up and she's like, "What? Well, I can't keep these girls from having sex. They'd hump a tree if I didn't <laughs> stop them. I also love how like liberal she lets the decorating be. Like, There's that whole scene with her trying to cover up the naked peace sign. Yeah. It's like, I love her. She's like, warms my Midwestern heart. Yeah, I, I feel like I brought it up because I feel like she's a really good example of parenting without autocracy, right? Without yeah. like being overbearing. Like... She lets the girls kind of, like, express themselves and do what they want, have parties, get drunk, like, but she's just make she's making sure everybody's being responsible. We're checking in guests. We're, you know, like, making sure everyone's okay, like, making sure the house is full of food. Like, that's, that's the kind of good parenting stuff that yeah. we always talk about is, like, your job is to be there and be supportive and also just, like, be there in case someone needs you. Right. You give your charges autonomy to live their life and make their own decisions. Right. Make their and, own mistakes. Right. And you don't judge them for them. Right. You are right. there with open arms and are there to be like, that sucks. Sorry that happened. What like, can we do? Yeah. How, How do we move help? forward? Um, yeah, I really like her, and like her compared to the dad, I think is really interesting. Yeah, it's so funny. This movie feels so feminist. It really does. And for nineteen seventy four, which is very strange, like, and for Bob Clark, right? Like, it's so strange, but like this movie feels so feminist because all the women are badasses. Oh yeah, and all the men are unhinged, like with the exception of the detective, who's like pretty competent. And I guess maybe the, like, phone company guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, every, all the men are, like, either stupid or, you know, like... Uh, emotion- Clearly overbearing and... Like, yeah, emotionally unstable or, yeah. It's really interesting to see that from Bob Clark and for the time. And it's a shame that that didn't carry over to the remake. Yeah. It's a real shame. Yeah. This movie's also, like really funny yeah it is like i feel like a lot of like a lot of the later horror movies have kind of like a sarcastic ironic funniness but this movie has like fucking jokes in it the fellatio exchange oh my god the fellatio exchange where like barb drunkenly gives her phone number i don't understand how this like relay thing worked 
this doesn't make sense to me as a phone number, but she gives, like, fellatio as the, like, relay code yeah. for the phone number. And the, you know, the beat cop just, like, fully doesn't get it. And then there's a scene between him and the detectives where they're just... <laughs> Just totally destroying him, and he has no idea. It's so good. It's something, something dirty, ain't it? <laughs> I know, I know it. <laughs> so good. It's so good, and just the yeah. One of the girls gave it to me. <laughs> <laughs> one of the girls gave it to Felicio. Yeah, yeah, one of the girls gave it to me. <laughs> it's just so good. It's um, amazing. It's really good, and just like. Uh, there's just other little moments like that that just, like, actually... Oh, like, when the... Uh, this is one thing that the remakes all do, but I, I feel like... Also, we discovered right before we were recording that there's, oh, there's another remake in 2006 that we might actually watch. It looks like it might actually be closer to the mark than the Blumhouse one, which is trash. I guess it's not trash. It's, it's, just a, decent, not... it's a decent slasher movie. It's not a remake. It's not Black Christmas. It's like sorority slasher. It's not Black Christmas. Anyway, the thing that they all do have is the glass unicorn. Yes. But like, I feel like it's a visual joke. Right. Right? Of like this chintzy piece of art that happens to just be sharp and pointy. He picks it up off the shelf and (laughs) I don't know, something about the visual of just like this glass, this chintzy glass unicorn just like stabbing (laughs) over and over. It's like kind of hilarious. I I love it. I, I do like that there's like a not a consistent murder weapon that it's like constantly like changing depending on the killer's surroundings and what is available to him, which I always love because like as much yeah. as I love like a chainsaw massacre, like seeing different ways you can get killed by a chainsaw gets tiring after. There's actually only one chainsaw kill in Chainsaw Massacre. Is there? I've never seen it. Most I... of the kills in Chainsaw Massacre are actually done with a hammer. Then why is it called well, a chainsaw? Well, Texas Hammer Massacre doesn't have quite the same. They could have. Then why they could have used the chainsaw the entire time? I don't. <laughs> I, we, we'll do that on another bonus episode. <laughs> I do not know the background, and I am not not doing it until we have to do it for an episode. <laughs> frankly, that's fair. I just think it's so good that this movie is like so much more feminist than so many horror movies Absolutely. that come after. Like, so many diff- horror movies that follow punish women, don't allow women autonomy, or the thing that's about the final girl that's kind of toxic is that, like, the final girl in a horror movie is usually, like, the tomboy, the right. masculine one, the one who has the most, like traditionally like masculine Masculine traits and that's what lets them survive the fact that they're not a woman which is like real gross fucking gross but you know i mean i guess all the girls die in this (laughs) so it's an equal opportunity it is and hey even some men die so you know but yeah you talked about peter the like the glorification of the violence oh my god yeah in this movie you know like the girls complain and go to the police to uh, about these phone calls that they're getting because they're getting these like creepy real creepy phone phone calls calls. and no one listens and then like a body turns up you know because the one of the girls goes missing and a body turns up that isn't her we find out it's probably like a 13 year old kid that we right yeah 13 year old kid do we ever find out if that's connected somehow to the murder or was it just another random murder that happened i think we are meant to believe that I think we're meant to believe that he killed that kid before he got into the house. Okay, that's like, what I, I think figured. We're but... meant to believe that like the rampage started outside the house and then he decided to go. He found the house and stayed inside the house. Right. I would just think like then once the body shows up, right? Then there's a search party and there's people with guns everywhere. Like the the search party, party people, people show up at the back door with guns and they're like. Don't worry, we're just the search party. And the girls are obviously uncomfortable because there's, yeah. like, guns being waved in their face. And they're like, 
can we please just not... Okay, right. we got it. You can go. <laughs> they even say they'd rather deal with the killer than with them. <laughs> right, right. But of course, like, the only way men can react to anything is to be like, well, what if we shot it? Yeah, there's even that, like, little clip of a scene where they're in the police station and some guy shot a cop because he was on his property or whatever and the the dude doesn't get held accountable for his actions and walks away which you know is because he's white right like there's not a single brown person in this entire movie no it's just like you have it as a joke that someone got shot in the ass like that's not really funny yeah there is this weird runner in in movies like Going back to, like, slapstick and vaudeville of, like, isn't it funny when someone is in pain? Which I just fundamentally don't understand. When I was a kid, my brother really liked watching The Three Stooges. Uh. And I just could not. It always just made me uncomfortable. I was like, why is this violence funny to you? Like, I get the, like, falling down slapstick over the top thing, but, like... People are getting hurt. hurt. Yeah. I know that they're actors and they're not getting hurt, but like... Why is this funny? Why is it funny to just like watch a man get hit in the head with a plane propeller? Like, yeah. that's horrifying. He would be like... Dead. Injured forever. Yeah. Yeah. My brother really was into uh, Kicking and Screaming, the Will Ferrell movie, oh, which weird. just was like... Not quite as slapsticky, but it was just constantly being yelled at and yeah. like it just didn't seem like isn't it funny when men are loud and mean and it's like no no why not do at men all. think that's funny it's like why do men think that like making other people uncomfortable is funny like if a man is in a bar and yells i'm on edge instantly yeah. i could not i could be on the other side of the bar but if i hear someone's if you raise your voice i am like i'm gone which is why i would never survive in a horror movie <laughs> well because also like right society has taught us that like when men yell almost always like violence is imminent right because like we know that men are not capable of controlling their emotions so if they have a strong emotion odds are someone's gonna get hurt yeah because that's the only out that's the only outlet they have right violence which is so sad like i feel so bad for men i do too like like so as someone who experienced going through puberty with testosterone at an age where I could process it, right. it's terrifying. Yeah. And it does, like, testosterone does make you feel angry. And uh-huh. learning For how to sure. sort through that shit and, like, actually get in touch with your emotions again through that process is hard and really tough and the fact that i could go through it as an adult and had therapy to help me is the only reason i could right like we don't give men any other outlet and we don't give men any other chance to show any emotion or to be vulnerable at all and it is heartbreaking yeah and i think it's again it's one of these things where like it's it is the way that it is and that it has been, but that might not be the way that it has to be. Right. Right? Like, I also remember feeling rage, just, like, blinding, pointless rage when I went through boy puberty. And still to this day, like, if I miss some Spyro or whatever, like, that's the first thing I notice is, like, a couple days and suddenly I'm fucking mad yeah it's and i'm sure that some of it is just the effect of testosterone i bet if you you know shot up monkeys with testosterone they would get angry too but i do think that a large part of it is uh is culture oh absolutely because i read this study so when you when you drink alcohol your testosterone spikes a right. lot. Which, by the way, when a, an, ovary an ovary haver gets drunk and their testosterone spikes, their testosterone will, like, quadruple. Right. And at that point, you have about as much testosterone as a, a testicle haver has all the time. Right. So, put that in perspective. Ovary havers, the last time you were drunk, imagine how angry and horny you were. That's the testosterone level of men all the time and it spikes it for men too but not by as much right people have always attributed that to the rise in like to like bar violence yeah like the fact that 
there is this culture, especially in America and in Europe, of men getting drunk and fighting. Right. Solving their conflict with violence because alcohol has heightened the, right. the like, testosterone bar. But it turns out that in cultures that don't have the same association of drinking and fighting, that correlation goes away. Interesting. So, for example, in Polynesian culture, they don't have the same... There there certainly is violence in Polynesian culture. Right. I'm not trying to tell you there isn't, but it's there. It's not associated with, with alcohol in the There's same not that, yeah. The, the cultural association with alcohol is like love. When, when people get drunk, they get affectionate. They get... Uh, you know, maybe Weird maybe and, embarrassingly yeah. emotional. Right, where here it's you get mad. Right, because and like this, this is the part that's my theory and not the article. So whatever. Um, like that part is something we can unlearn. Oh, because absolutely. Because that is culture. Like, there's no reason that you have to deal with those excessive emotions from the excess testosterone with violence. Yeah. We know that because people, some people don't. Yeah. Like some cultures don't do it that way. And it's obvious just, obviously just that, just that, right? That the like extra testosterone means extra emotions build up. But the only way we teach men to deal with emotions is anger or violence. Yeah. Like how many times as a masculine person have you to- been told to go oh work out your anger and your feelings through a violent activity right like go punish yourself or your body through activity to go punch a heavy bag, bag or something, something like that, like that. Like, that just reinforces right violence as a reaction to emotions and like i can easily see how you can get lost in that anger and how if you have the messaging that men have in this society that there is not a place for you to show anything else and it's terrifying yeah because you don't have models like like we always talk about with women like if you don't have a model for something how how do you know that's a way to live right exactly like if you don't have models of men who are soft who feel emotions who like tell their loved ones that they love them then how are you going to know to emulate that right like you could have a read of this movie and a version of this movie where peter can take a moment and like explain that like hey i understand that this is like you're gonna you want an abortion and i understand that but like emotionally this is what i'm i feel very strongly about wanting a family or whatever and like having a conversation about it instead of just demanding that jess does what he wants through her body right and just like tells her what she wants and tells her how it's gonna be which man if there's one thing i did not expect like as a woman it was like men constantly telling me what I thought and how I needed to do things. I thought, you know, I went 25 years being perceived as a masculine person and no one ever once, well, not not once, not no one ever once, but people very seldom questioned my thought process. Oh, God. <laughs> I... If I came to a decision, people were like, okay, that makes sense. Now, I cannot fucking... Like, brush my teeth without somebody being like, are you sure you're doing that right? I don't know why I gave them that voice, I guess, to just, like, not be sexist. <laughs> uh. Androgyny through annoyance. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like, I have the opposite where I have a voice constantly running in my head that justifies everything I do <laughs> because I... I'm waiting for someone to be like, why are you doing it that way? Why are you questioning my motives? And like, I have to have a defense for everything because no one takes me at face value, even though I can pass in a lot of people's places nowadays. Like I've worked in coffee for years. I know coffee. Like it is, I could tell you everything you need to know about coffee. And I still have men try to mansplain to me their order and what they want, even though they're wrong. And it's just like, it does something to you as well. It's like always being questioned and like it. It makes you question like yourself. Self. And it has, and like what you see in Jess, who's constantly like, when she's like, oh, it could be Peter, but I didn't tell the cops because I don't want to be sure. Like I'm not right. 100% sure. And I like, she doesn't 
she's not 100% sure of what she wants or what she can do because she knows that people are going to be questioning her and she has to be ready for those defenses. Right, right. She knows she can't just make, as a woman, you can never just make a decision. You have to already have, like, the next three steps in chess of, like, why that wasn't a stupid decision to make. Yeah. Do you think any of the characters grow at all through this movie? I was just thinking about that. I'm not sure. I feel like Jess does. Like, I feel like Jess kind of has an arc of, yeah, I guess maybe not. I thought I did, and then as I was going to try and describe what it was, nothing came to my brain. (laughs) Yeah, I think the characters are too flat to, like, show any growth, and there's, like, not anything... We also don't, like, I feel like we don't spend enough time. I was going to say, it also, like, happens in, like, 12 hours, and it just, like, is so quick, which is interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure if there's, like, a a growing up message in this movie or not, but it doesn't feel like it, really. No, it really doesn't. Like, I appreciate that they use people's lack of faith in women as a plot device and, like, really show that. But other than that, I don't think they really care that the women are people. Right. Yeah. It's just scary to put them all in a house. Yeah. That's all. And Like, everyone is scared of women getting murdered. Right. Because as a society, we think that we own women's bodies and that they are collective property. Yeah. To put for men to put babies in. Anyway. Cool. So, right. Uh, let's do rapid fire then. Oh ah. my god! There's so much hair happening in this movie. It's so the '70s. There's perms and just so much hair happening. And anyway, that was my very first note. The hair is fantastic. I love the hair. I'm a sucker for the use of shaky handheld cameras yeah. uh, in the beginning. I fucking love that shit. I, like, the whole disorientation that it brings to it, just, like... Totally. It drives me bananas watching it. Like, bl- watching Blair Witch, I, like, could not do. It took me forever because it does that, I yeah. think, is so perfect. And especially because so much of the stuff that we get from the killer... Yeah. ...is, like, first-person, like, hand cam stuff. Yeah. And... I learned that they had to create a, a special rig for the cam op to wear so that he could climb that trellis in the like one of the first scenes. Because GoPros didn't exist. Because in the GoPros 70s. didn't exist. You couldn't just strap a little like two by two inch camera to your helmet. Oh my god. You that's... know, a camera was like a big situation. Oh. So just climbing with that on your head. Yeah, just like strapped it to a helmet or whatever. Wild. Wild. Why did the sorority have a carousel horse in their attic? You know, for creep factor, okay. I suppose. Carousel horses are creepy when you separate them from the carousel. I just want to know what charity event they threw to like get that. <laughs> they happened I... to have a carousel right. horse. Um, they, had a, they had like a carnival themed right. like party at one point and they just didn't get rid of the, the horse. Ugh, there is this awful line that like... The misogyny and just ick factor was like took me out of it for for too long and like made me want to hate all of these girls. Where one of them says you can't rape a townie, and it's just like oh. I saw some people online. I was doing my research and I saw some people online saying, "What a hilarious joke that is!" Like, well, some some men. Let's be honest, men saying that that was a hilarious joke. Again, we are just desensitizing violence to women's bodies so that when women actually come forward and have the guts to speak out that no one believes them right Um, because that's not real right oh i did want to say that the the use of christmas music is really amazing it is to like make everything really unsettling there's a scene where jess is standing at the front door and there are carolers yeah like singing and the the killer is actively killing and the girl is screaming, but Jess can't hear her over it's the carolers. So good. Oh, it's so beautiful. And, oh, I did want to talk about this. Like, this movie invented a whole subgenre of, like, Christmas horror movies oh, are a thing. You know, like, um, Silent Night, Deadly Night is the one that comes to mind immediately. But, like, Christmas horror movies are a thing because it is especially, like, 
Christmas is supposed to be light and fun and about family and togetherness. And, like, it's really double unsettling to have the, like, murder thing. Absolutely. Happen. Anyway. I love swearing Santa. I think it's fucking hysterical. Especially with the children in front of them. Yeah. It just made me giggle. One of the girls has this, like crazy yellow floral print wallpaper on her walls and it's just so 70s and like being in that room for 30 seconds with the camera made me sick i was like i do not know how you live in that mr harrison does a lot of eyebrow acting for someone who doesn't have any eyebrows (laughs) (laughs) like he's constantly raising and using his brows and i'm like you have nothing (laughs) there's nothing there i liked barb's turtle facts i liked (laughs) uh i really liked her like drunken like because that's me when i'm drunk it's like Turtles can fuck for three days. (laughs) And it's just like, uh, I loved Barb. I feel like I'm Barb out in the holidays. A little less drunk, but. (laughs) Oh, I can't believe I missed this when I talked about my big notes. I can't believe this made it all the way to lightning round. This is why we do this. Uh, We have to talk about how the slasher is a direct response to serial killers like Ted Bundy. Oh, yeah. Like, so, like, Ted, your Ted Bundy's, your Jeffrey Dahmer's. Right. Ted Bundy starts killing, like, about of the time of this movie. And, like, the 60s and, the, and especially the 70s, like, they get kind of famous, like, because all these serial killers start getting caught, basically. Right. Becomes a part of the consciousness, this, like, fear of... Like a roving madman right. who could kill indiscriminately and never be caught or, um, you know, like that kind of thing. And I, I definitely like think it's interesting that like it takes something like serial killers for society to worry about women. <laughs> oh, like, I didn't even think about it that. It takes something like, you know, Ed Kemper, the co-ed killer, killing, like, you know, 22, like, women or something. Oh, God. It does. Oh. For us to be like, hey, are women okay? No, because you wouldn't <laughs> think about us unless we are being taken away from you because you think we're your property and right. we're getting damaged. Exactly. Jesus fucking Christ, that's terrifying. Yeah, because, like, I mean, before the seven, like, by 74, we've... We've got uh, Gein and Kemper and, like, Manson is the 60s. Yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, of course they come. I guess Ed Gein's not technically a serial killer. Don't come for me, serial killer people. Um, Technically, I guess he only ever killed one person. Oh, yeah. Gein. Yeah, he was was an necrophiliac. He, I mean, uh, he dug up corpses. I think he was probably trying to turn himself... He was probably a trans person. He was probably trying to become a woman. He used to, he made himself a woman's suit. He used to dance around at night in his woman's suit. Anyway. See what happens when you don't let us exist? This is exactly what happens when you don't let us exist. We end up digging up bodies and making a woman's suit and dancing around like a woman in a weird skin suit in the moonlight. This is what happens. Do you want Ed Gein's people? This is how you get Ed Gein's. <laughs> I mean, you, we. Uh, <laughs> oh, I was gonna say slashers in particular, especially slashers in particular, because you have so much stabbing. You have this metaphor for violating women's bodies, right? For and, penetration, yeah. Which is just like disgusting in its own fact. Like that we, yeah. Like I love horror movies. I love slasher films. But again, we have this glorifying of violence, especially violence against women. Right. And it has desensitized us to it as a culture. And yeah. it's horrifying. And especially violence that suggests rape. Yes. Right? Because in almost all these movies, it's stabbing, right? right. There's always a knife or... The, the um, woman is usually always pinned down in some pinned way. Pinned down on the bed or something. Yeah, or... Yeah. Has a violation of her safety and her house is completely torn away. Right. And that her safety and her presumed safety is not existing. Yeah.